Mayfair 515, Albuquerque Center, Roger, climb and maintain 13,000. Riding down the trail to Albuquerque, saddlebags all filled with beans and Welcome to the City on the Edge podcast with your hosts, Nora Hickey, Mike Smith, and Ty Bannerman. Much like Los Angeles to me. Right. City on the edge. 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 Have we appeased whatever spirits we appeased that way? Yes. City on the edge. It's, it's an important ritual at this point, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Welcome uh, back to uh, City on the Edge, the podcast where we tell Albuquerque stories. I'm Ty Bannerman. Mike Smith. That that was Mike Smith and Laura Hickey talking at the same time. Oh, sorry. uh, Sorry. That's okay. You're you're allowed to screw up the recording. I heard them separately. (laughs) Maybe it's a, a lag or something. Um, and today we're talking about like uh, vanishing, or I think in Nora's case, already vanished Albuquerque landmarks, but recently vanished mm-hmm. Albuquerque landmarks. And Mike, this was your idea, so uh, tell me, tell us about how you uh, how you landed on this. Well, I got to thinking about it because uh, going back to uh, at least 2012, I've been trying to date this via the internet, figure it out. Um, there has been this uh, series of fencing um, in downtown Albuquerque around third and silver on uh, on a corner of third and silver. And for a long time, it completely encircled a dirt lot there mm. that, uh, you know, everyone knew was destined to be built on or something. But for a while it had these beautiful colored planks. Everything was painted. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say rainbow because it wasn't in that, series of colors but bright not roy g. Uh, biv. yeah not roy g biv but um but bright colors um kind of a like dark past saturated pastels um all the way around um around uh it became kind of an iconic photo spot that had lots of people took pictures at and uh, at one point if you went on instagram or facebook during um during uh the like circa 2012 to 2014 or so, there would always be people posing in front of these just because it was a great backdrop. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's been kind of interesting to watch over the last decade as it's completely deteriorated and been taken apart in parts and been graffitied and the graffiti has been badly painted over with dark blue paint and right. it's shrunk and shrunk. And I mean, it's good. They're building um you know, uh, apartment buildings or something, uh, right. right there now. And, uh, I mean, you know, it, that, that's a, a good, a good form of housing. I'm not sure what demographic yeah. it will cater to class wise or whatever, but, but it'll um, probably be you know, too expensive and yeah. mostly empty. That's my guess, my prediction. Yeah, uh, 
But um, I mean, the solution to uh, the housing crisis is housing. So that's yeah. that's that's good. And uh, high density housing, I think, is absolutely right. important. Yeah. Right. And getting people downtown is important. Right. Um, yeah, I saw a map recently or a pair of photographs and um, one was from pre-1960 and Albuquerque was so dense and yeah. it was really densely populated and after that it just got attacked for parking lots and a big part of that like 1970s demolition where so many historic structures like the San Francisco uh, uh, San Francisco Hotel yes. and the Alvarado got torn down a lot of that, that was just putting up um, parking lots at the same time and yeah. uh, it really it changed the density of the city and I feel like every American city went through some form of that, even like mm -hmm. a place like New York where Robert Moses was putting highways all over the oh, place. Yeah. You know, well it was said. just like and his name be cursed forever. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Um so yeah, dude. we certainly did not escape that. We're probably one of the one of the worst examples, not the worst, mm. but certainly in the way that like you can see it it's almost like tree rings you know like yeah he had yeah. To make tree rings and now they're just wider and wider going out to the mm -hmm. heights and uh the west side and everything like that that's true so, and we're gonna have we've to been really that. well said we've been really influenced too by like um how la has developed like yeah i've been rereading the book city of courts by mike davis and it's crazy how many of those patterns uh general motors uh donated buses to cities and ripped out their trolley tracks that started in la and then happened here as well totally um yeah you know uh and same with a lot of the uh you know anti-density pro car i mean cars have just really transformed everything and if you want to if you want to learn more about that in a pretty fairly entertaining way there's a YouTube channel called Not Just Bikes. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but he really gets into the policies behind the uh, uh, transformations of, of cities in different parts of the world and how some cities have done better. Like oh, interesting. In, in uh, I think he lives in Amsterdam. Apparently that one's pretty good. And worse, like Houston or Albuquerque or Toronto even. Um, Springfield um, isn't too great. What's that? Yeah. Springfield, Ohio, isn't too great either. So, no, I mean, I think it's like every American city, really. It's just some of them yeah. had a pretty good core, like New York, where you could still mm -hmm. have a vibrant city. Right. And some of them have just struggled with it, like uh, like Albuquerque. You know, just our yeah. our downtown then, yeah, was not I advanced like, enough. And wow. I feel like we're, cities are trying to rectify it now with these short and incomplete like art or in Milwaukee, they just put this trolley, but it doesn't really go enough mm. places. You know, they're trying to do this little right. band-aid of, oh, we're adding back public transportation. That's not that helpful. Right. Mm. It really requires a whole new vision of how we're developing mm -hmm. these cities and how we treat like pedestrians and commuters and, you know, all this stuff. Right. Um, so this well, fence downtown and I, I think there's already some mixed use uh condos and stuff there mm -hmm. there's that market the central uh, is it called central market I think it's silver, silver street silver okay. street silver market street, yeah. yeah down there the right there. so i'm pretty familiar with the area mm -hmm. those apartments have like weird windmills on top have you seen those Oh, yeah. I've wondered if those are actually electricity yeah. generating or just decorative. Do they don't do that? anything. They never spin. I never see them spin. So I don't uh, know what that's about. So, Mike, what uh, did you dig up about this uh, this fence? 
Well, it seems to be from a specific fence company called like uh, Cedar Plank Fencing or something like that. I, I don't have that right in front of me. Sorry. <laughs> Shoot, Sorry. But, uh, but um, uh, what's been most interesting to me is watching it kind of go away piece by piece. Like now it is just down to like the narrowest side of one side and it's completely graffitied and then painted over the graffiti and it's faded and uh, it's kind of gone away. But um you know i doubt anyone poses in front of it anymore i found i mean it's been it kind of got famous a little bit it i feel like for something to really become a landmark it has to get a name and the closest i've ever seen to this thing having a name is the color fence even that's not been in real wide usage it seems to be more like just something a descriptive thing somebody grabbed to call it that on on uh social media but at one point new mexico magazine featured a photo of it as it's as a in, a in a prominent way, uh, Smithsonian uh, their yeah. website it won a won a photo contest at one point. I see that um, I'm looking at that right now. Wow, yeah. this was taken when in was uh, that from? November of 2012, so it must have been brand yeah. new. It certainly looks quite colorful right there. Yeah, and and maybe, and someone's and, in and front maybe of people it were has no just uh just a section of the fence looking bright and colorful <laughs> there. Wow. Yeah. And it seems to have, like, at one point it was, like, nearly ubiquitous on Facebook and Instagram. Like, you would see photos of it all the time. And yeah. even some of those past photos appear to have disappeared now. I noticed um, uh, Sharkbait, the uh, local skating zine, which is one of the longest zine zines. They featured it on their Instagram feed at one point. Um, and that's a really cool zine that promotes skating in, in the ditches. And I once uh -huh. went to a really cool... Uh, uh, premiere of a film that they released and it was projected on bed sheets on a wall at the old gold house house venue and it was a really neat little skate documentary it had a it had like um each skater got one song worth of time to put their footage to and somebody used Woody Guthrie's This Land Is Your Land which was really interesting with all this quiet skating the dishes footage somebody else did a comedy bit from Andrew Dice Clay and it was like really weird to see something soundtracked with comedy kind of cool um but they featured it that and they did a, a zine that tied in with it so the, the underground culture in the city has recognized it but so of like up-and-coming models and people like you know promoting their careers just because it was a really cool colorful set right in the middle of um right in the middle of town yeah and very eye-catching if you look up colorful fence and do a Google image search, there's okay. uh, Getty, Getty images, Alamy, sure. um, huh. all sorts of, uh, I assume local photographers have used it. Um, there's some lovely, lovely pictures. I That's feel cool. like that, it, yeah. it came, it was erected at the time that influ online influencer culture, social media influencer culture uh -huh. was kind of, you know, exploding. Or, or at least That's beginning. And I feel that, right. you know, looking for those photo ops, which now I feel like has become, um, I feel like if this fence went up now, I'd be more cynical about it. You know, I saw um, a mural the other day here and I felt cynically like, oh, they want to attract people for the photo op. And I thought, well, but it's a right. nice mural. So um, I'm glad. Like the, the like the wow. wings, the wings that are put up in various yes. parts of the city where it's just like you can stand with your yeah. back to the wall and it looks like you have big angel wings. I mean, some of those wow. ways, but uh, that's so, so interesting that it does seem very Instagram ready, you know, like, right. 
Um, so it looks to me like it was uh, created by Scott's Fencing Company. Oh. Uh, in, the uh, famous Scott's Fence. I don't know that. Do you guys know that? I'm not sure of a picture of it here on their website. Oh. So You're oh. a better internet researcher than me. You're doing good. <laughs> <laughs> mm. um, but it's cool. on its way out. Yeah. I mean, it it's... was never much more than a than a construction fence, really. It's just they've managed to make it look kind of sure. cool. But yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, I mean, things become landmarks almost despite themselves, you know, like it's, it, they're just, it, it's kind of an interesting modern case study and what makes something memorable and then what makes it ephemeral, you know? Um, and uh, I really do think like naming has a real power. As soon as you put a name on something, it's something, it's like these little towns that are one or two buildings. And if they have a name, they keep getting mentioned in books and put on maps and all that stuff. Right. But there's a million little spots on the map with one or two houses that don't have the name. And so nobody cares. They don't have that longevity in that way. And uh, like, I think, you know, this, this maybe would have had a bigger cultural footprint if it had been something that people could refer to easily. Right. People tended to, I mean, if you would hear that phrase, the color fence, but you would also hear, you know, that colorful painted fence downtown. I mean, people would yeah. go off with the long phrases. You know that and, one uh, fence. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it is kind of, was kind of near some parking. So it's like, you know, it was used as a descriptor sometimes. So, right. But, right. Uh, right. But, I mean, at the fence. But anyway, the color fence. And I'd love to hear people's anecdotes about that or, um, uh, you know, that's, it, I mean, so, someday someone will put together a collection of all the images from that and find that there's a ton, <laughs> that there's a lot out there no. and it could be its own Arcadia book probably. But, um, <laughs> yes, but, uh, but, I know uh, it made me wonder if I have it. a picture in front of it somewhere in my archives. Same. So. Yeah. I bet we, we all do somewhere or have, okay. we're on the periphery of something. Mm -hmm. Um, R.I.P. Yeah. Color Fence. Yeah, rock and roll to a cool little, you were cool good little to us. Albuquerque on it. And what about you, Nora? Yeah. What What is your ephemeral Albuquerque that uh, drew your attention this week? As you said, um, it has already vanished, but not in my heart because it was a place I, one of my favorite first places in Albuquerque. It is the Lomas Bowl which became the Leisure Bowl, which became the oh, Skids, S-K-I-D-Z, Family Entertainment yeah. Center, which was my favorite name for it. Um, but it mm. housed bowling out, 32 lanes of bowling and a wood-paneled pub where you could get pictures of beer and sing karaoke. And oh. that's what I used to do on my birthday. And I was, I was there when it... So it was, it's, it was built in 1958, um, and it was considered the oldest operational bowling theater by the time of its um, uh, teardown. And, or it, it closed in 2016 because it sold to a Kia dealership and it was torn down and became a Kia dealership. And when you say oldest and operational it, bowling alley, do you mean in Albuquerque? Or? In yeah. Albuquerque, yes. And okay. Holiday Bowl was started the same year 1958 but i guess a bit later so they're very close and i love that there's been they two were right across the street from each other for decades for decades and they've done fine 
apparently, according <laughs> to people, you know. Um, and so this was built in 1958 by a famous, I don't know, I had never heard of him, maybe you too, but it's, he sounds like an interesting Albuquerque, part of an interesting Albuquerque family, Alec Paul Grossetet. No, I don't know Do that you, name. Um, and I just have to say, read part of his family history. So he was the builder and he was from a New Mexico pioneer family. And so the family, after, you know, some adventures um, with the French artillery and George Washington, they came to New Mexico in 1880 as homesteaders in Catron County, Catron County. Uh, Catron, Catron um, County. Alex's two great uncles were ambushed and murdered. Alexis by oh cattle gosh. barons who wanted his water rights and Fred who was gunned down on a cattle drive. The early history oh, of it. the Grossetets in New Mexico has been chronicled by authors Victor Westfall and Howard Bryan, among others. The family moved to Albuquerque in the 1920s and Alex's father, Alec, was one of the founders of the Ever Ready Oil Company. Alec's first job was as a six-year-old gas station attendant at his father's service station. His father left the family oil business in the 1940s to found his investment and construction company, La Mesa Builders, Inc. And they grew up um, with La Mesa, La Mesa Builders and took, running the comp took over running the company. Um, and they built schools, gymnasiums, public buildings, and housing including the Girl Scout camp in the Jemez Mountains. Um, I'm assuming they also built the Leisure Bowl slash Lomas Bowl, but they don't say that in his obituary. Yeah. So that was, um, yeah. And it was advertised, you know, it was a big deal, 32 lanes. And it was going to have the state-of-the-art facilities, electronic equipment for scoring and pin setting. And wow. there was also going to be, I like this, um, detail there was going to be a nursery for children as well which great. i thought was great yeah for the bowlers to be able to <laughs> drop the kitties <laughs> off their kids yes. yes we need that more don't we Very good. Like, totally i think the problem is that you know whatever uh whatever bottom rung uh bowling alley uh employee gets in charge of uh, of watching the kids you know probably not licensed or bonded or wow. trained in 1958 right. just sitting there you know it's the 50s so smoking a cigarette while the while the kids <laughs> tear each other's hair out that's funny right yeah. right <laughs> if they bothered to have anyone watch it at all and then it became the leisure bowl so first it was almost bowl then it became the leisure bowl under Dick Tanner, who was an attorney in Albuquerque, along with his wife, Janet. Mm -hmm. And um, they had a good heyday of having a ton of tournaments, some that were broadcast on ESPN. So the um, Leisure Bowl was broadcast throughout living rooms in America. Um, and if you look at newspapers you know if you look at the archives of the albuquerque journal there is so much bowling coverage i was in looking at this i was just impressed at the amount of print um and detail given to bowling scores tournaments you know what was going on in the different lanes in the city i don't know if that is true of every american city but it seemed like albuquerque had a really flourishing bowling wow. scene there um, was a book in the 70s 80s 90s there was a book by a guy called uh, 
Alan Dean Foster, who wrote like every science fiction movie novelization, but this was one that he like he wrote Aliens and Terminator and all this stuff. But mm. he, this was one of his original stories called uh, Glory Road, and I picked it up as a uh, as a teenager, and it starts out with uh, the only punk rocker in Albuquerque, um, who's very bored. And uh, the only thing that there is to do in Albuquerque is go to the bowling alley. That always stuck with me. So hmm. I think that came out in the 80s. Yeah. I have no idea if Alan Dean Foster ever came to Albuquerque or what, but that uh, maybe maybe there was something to it. Maybe this was just a town known for its bowling alleys. That's really That's, interesting. Yeah. 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 And, you know, there's different stories of, you know, women in women's leagues get bowling a 267 stories of like yes. so-and-so build a two bold a 290 um there was a story about i like this because it was two brothers who qualified at the leisure bowl for a national tournament in um, reno the miller national doubles tournament uh -huh. the at city brothers who were on the native part of the native american league at leisure bowl so there were all these different oh. league um types it seemed like but I don't know how they did. I looked. So if anyone knows George and Eugene at City um, in the 1984 Miller National Doubles Tournament, how did they do? Okay. Yeah, we'll get right on this. <laughs> wow. That's so the, like one like guy who was hoping to hear some bowling scores today just, just uh, turned off the show. We spoiled yeah. it. Um, <laughs> 1958 was a real active year in the Heights. That that's just barely in the Heights, right? That Leisure Bowl, like, is that? It's not, would you like Louisiana and uh, Lomas, right about? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, getting up there, but like in my neighborhood near Eubank and Manal, uh, all the telephone poles and all the fire hydrants say 1958, ah. and I think a lot of that had to do with the development of the Hoffman town commercial mm -hmm. complex, which was built in 1951 and kind of gave permission for people to start building all around. Cause they're like, look, we've got city services and amenities and so yeah. on. Just build and, out uh, towards Hoffman. Right. Right. That makes and, sense. Uh, and uh, like, but I mean, a 1958 business that would have put them as one of the earliest in the Heights. I mean, I've been, kind of trying to figure out what are the oldest businesses in the Heights these days, just kind of piecing it together. Yeah. And like Taco Sal, you helped me find out is the oldest restaurant. And, mm. um, Oh, wow. And, and uh, what's it, what's the other one? Stuffies is, is pretty old okay. too. goes back to the early sixties. And, um, and there's a lumber store on Manal um, that is a late fifties store, but it's like, you know, it's a pretty recent history overall, yeah. this part of, town and um be, huh? and that put that bowling alley pretty far back i wouldn't be surprised if the popularity of them as entertainment here would be connected to route 66 too because people passing through town looking for something to do would you know probably be have their attention directed to whatever was advertising in neon along that drag and yeah or uh you know nearby but but um i won't yeah i, won't, I wonder that's that's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, it was I wonder so what the area looks like. Yeah. Rusty, empty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stuff, yeah, stuff like that would have really stood It rose up around the two bowling alleys. I just love that there's two bowling alleys, new yeah. ones, and they're right, right across, across the street <laughs> from each other. They must have hated that. They were like, come on, just build Leisure Bowl and you got to build Holiday Bowl across the street. Like, just find another That's street, funny. find another block. I have to say, uh, when they, um, 
when they turned that into a Kia dealership, it was extremely disappointing to me because that entire stretch of Lomas from Louisiana to about like Eubank or something is just all car dealerships. And there is nothing uh-huh. more yeah. boring and just leaving a bitter taste in my yeah. mouth than car dealership after car dealership with their stupid yeah. fake balloons. Uh, those balloons. Yeah, that is it is kind of boring. I interestingly I noticed that Northwest Auto Sales is uh east of Northeast Auto Sales on that stretch. <laughs> <laughs> they so. had one job. <laughs> um well, shall we move on to my place? Yeah. Well, yeah, what do you do? You found some interesting stuff there. I want to know more about that family. Uh, yeah me too yeah we should definitely get more into them like they got murdered by evil cowboys and then they opened yeah what yeah (laughs) also george washington somehow yeah yeah he's in there somewhere (laughs) the big stories well i was very um like disappointed to see that uh uh manny's restaurant um at the corner of uh central and gerard the southeast southeast corner there uh it closed in 2020 but the building now is um going to be demolished soon and supposedly uh the area is owned by um like the lot is owned by bosque brewery that's a bit of a rumor uh but it it would make sense they're right back there and they've got their sign above the manny's one but uh i manny's was an important place to me for a long time like i went there almost every weekend uh when i was at unm were you guys big manny's fans oh yeah love that you introduced it to me and it's uh kind of an important albuquerque institution certainly the restaurant was um prince was there all the time if you went into the the restaurant you could see his architectural drawings on the wall um he was the architect who created the so-called flying saucer house on uh Monte Vista, mm. which is where he lived. Oh, and yeah. then pretty much if you see any Huh? We should do a Bar Prince episode. That'd be very interesting. Yeah. Any weird yeah. boxy metallic uh house that just looks like it might take off and fly away at any second, that's probably a Bart Prince house. They're all over the place. Um he has his house, which is the flying saucer house, and then next door there's one that not to be insulting i actually like it but it it looks like um a trailer like a trailer home but on stilts kind of you know it's nice it's like made out of yeah made out of uh iron or steel or something like that so he was there all the time and then david stewart archaeologist for you uh the university of new mexico who was on our podcast talking about um frank hibbins uh uh, that's right find yeah. in the sandia mountain the sandia man cave um he was there all the time and they were always selling his books there so i, I was like this is this is an important place for university of new mexico area yeah. uh the building itself i could not quite find when it was built but i think hmm. i found a clue which is in 1940 uh in the albuquerque tribune uh, Chaz E. McDuffie took out an ad saying, I am building 12 new stores in the McDuffie block, 2900 East Central. 
which is the address of Manny's. See me now if you are interested in a drugstore, barbershop, shoe store, clothing store, shoe repair shop, bake shop, or any up-and-coming business. So that's oh. the earliest reference oh I can find to 2900 East Central. So it seems likely that this is the genesis of the Manny's building. It's part of the McDuffie the properties. <laughs> and McDuffie Park is, that's Hidden Park, right? That's McDuffie Park, mm -hmm. uh, the Hidden oh, Park yeah. Lomas Avenue. So this is a, a, a um, real estate developer in uh, in our city in the 50s. I'm sorry, the 40s. In 1940, it was the Cobbs Drive-In. In 1941, it, I think, was purchased by a guy called Leslie Les Johnson, who renamed it the Top Notch Drive-In. Can't find a lot of information about it. Just some uh, classified ads asking for car hops and that sort of thing. So it was like a hamburger stand kind of place. Uh, and according to a 1942 Daily Lobo ad, it's the place to bring your girl. Top notch place. To <laughs> but when we start getting some real information about it is 1950 when it is purchased by a guy called Lobo Joe. Joseph L. Kramer, who ran it for a little while as a hamburger stand, but then changed it to Lobo Joe's Chuck Wagon and Smorgasbord. Uh, Joseph Kramer served in Illinois' 202nd Field Artillery Unit in the Ar U.S. Army in World War II. Apparently passed through Albuquerque at some point during his uh, his training and decided this was a good place to move back to from uh after the war and uh, start some businesses. And indeed he did that. Um, he was extremely good at self-promotion. Uh, if you, if you look in the old um, <laughs> Albuquerque journals, he's just got loads and loads of ads taken out talking about like uh, how he's um, the, the king of the kitties. He refers to himself as the king of the kitties in uh, hmm. 1955, I want, want to just read this to you real quick. Lobo Joe is an expert at handling the small fry at mealtime. Whether you choose the convenience of Lobo Joe's drive-in, the swift service of fine food in the restaurant, or the swank atmosphere of the superb chuck wagon room, Lobo Joe's will make the kitties happy. He loves them. <laughs> he's, he's selling a little hard, frankly. It gets a little creepy. He loves them. <laughs> For each kid, he has an attractive big napkin. What? What? <laughs> attractive big napkin. <laughs> High chairs for the very young, motherly waitresses who understand small fry eating problems. And for those who finish the delicate but filling children's portions, there's an eye popping lollipop. You ever heard a waitress described as motherly in an advertisement? Wild. Oh. Like that's that's a little weird. There's some red flags in that description. That's some <laughs> weird. I'm like, do are we safe to take the kids to this place? Yeah, I I, <laughs> I have to say it's like, it, you know, I wouldn't necessarily call uh call a children's uh youth and families division, but it definitely right. raised an eyebrow. Um, right. Yeah, maybe it's just. And it, it like yeah. you said, it kept going. It didn't. Kept going. In another advertisement, uh, he advertises it as having uh, paneled walls, seven handsome chandeliers, and 
carpeting, making it one of the first all carpeted coffee shops. So this is 1960 when he did that. So that was an era when you could say that um, it was a big deal to have carpet in your coffee shop. Interesting. Bragged about using scientific restaurant management. No idea what that is. (laughs) He was a member of the Kiwanis Club, uh, a member of the board of directors for the New Mexico Society for Crippled Children and Adults. Um, The restaurant originally served a 29-cent breakfast, which featured orange juice, one egg, potatoes, toast, butter and jelly, and coffee. He also owned a restaurant called the Robin Hood Inn on 9120 4th Street Northwest that had a working drawbridge and tower. Interesting. Weird. Yeah. And it kind of seems like this expansion was uh, something of a downfall for him because he, uh, he went into partnership with a man called Roswell Moore. Um, and immediately after the purchase of the Robin Hood Inn, uh, newspaper reports start coming out about one buying out the other. First of all, Lobo Joe apparently bought out uh, Roswell Moore in uh, 1962. But by 1963, Roswell Moore bought all the other restaurants back and then sold it to a business consortium in town. And... Lobo Joe was sued for owing a bunch of debts. So that was the end of his career uh, as a as a Lobo Joe's chuck wagon and smorgasbord king of the kitties owner. Uh, they ran it as Lobo. That's all that? You know? A shirt? That'd be great. I, uh, yeah, I think we should. Yeah, maybe that'll be our 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 merch store. That's gonna it's gonna <laughs> kick off and make huge waves one of these days. Um, so this business consortium ran it as Lobo Joe's until 1965, when Manny Giannopoulos moved to Albuquerque from Nashua, New Hampshire. Nashua, <laughs> not sure, but anyway, he moved to Albuquerque. He opened, actually, he moved to Santa Fe first, opened a restaurant called Manny's Cocktail Lounge in 1949. Oh. So I'm sorry, my timeline's a little screwed up. He moved here in 1949 to Santa Fe anyway, opened Manny's Cocktail Lounge in 1949, then moved to Albuquerque, ran a place called The Maple Shop in downtown and Flavor Crisp, also in downtown. And then in 1965, purchased the Manny's building, which uh, he renamed the business Manny's Flavor Crisp Chicken. (laughs) And the articles about it say that he mainly focused on selling chicken and shrimp at that point. Hmm. He was Greek and his wife was a Greek immigrant. So they uh, had things like baklava as well, and they gradually expanded their... uh, their food offerings until it became kind of a typical diner style. Yeah. He sold it and retired in 1980 when he had a heart attack. Um, Mm -hmm. And he sold it to Joseph Corey. Um, Oh, I do want to point out that his family, the the Genopolis lived in Albuquerque for 
Like they're as far as I know, they're still living in Albuquerque. And in fact, his nephew Peter Janopoulos oh. opened Bricklight Dive on uh, Harvard Avenue. Oh my god! That place? Really? Yes. Yeah, which is gone now. Uh, the way you said yes makes me feel like you have a story to share, <laughs> Nora. No, you just jogged my yeah. my. You know, some of these places I. Have histories with, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And then he opened BRGR, uh, the restaurant, the hamburger. Burger. Restaurant. I always remember that. Yeah. Right, we never noticed. right on downtown Burger. Central and like Third Avenue or something like that. I went the there, lane I went there all the time. Yeah. Which then got turned into like another restaurant, which is where there was like a standoff between. The the Philly cheesesteak uh, restaurant, Matter. right? Black Lives Matter protesters, mm -hmm. and then one of the militia leaders guys was working as a manager there, yeah. despite having like been arrested for illegally kidnapping people along the border of New Mexico. I was right. served by manager militia guy. That's him, yeah. And did you think there's something very jingoistic about this guy? So Manny himself had a heart attack in 1980 and sold it to Joseph Curry, who ran it for 40 years, uh, during which time it became the Manny's that you and I and uh, the, the, the three of us know um, until 2020, when uh, a combination of factors combined to cause it to close. Uh, first, the art project construction had an undeniable impact on. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and then right after the art project finally finished, uh, they had problems with their sewage lines, including a point where the sewage flooded the restaurant at one point. So they they had right. to deal with that. And then rather That's than terrible. rather than deal with that, they uh, they closed in February of 2020, just narrowly missing what would undoubtedly have been the final final nail in their coffin even if they had stayed in the uh, COVID-19 pandemic so oh. that's that's the story of wow. Manny's restaurant you guys got any Manny's memories oh I have so many I feel like we recorded an episode there one time maybe a long time ago or I, at least we brainstormed a couple there um, we might have but I remember meeting you to brainstorm some stuff yeah right it was like it was very affordable. I mean, like it was yeah. like the cheapest diner in town. The portions were pretty good. I, I do think there were like two or three years of like decline where it just got worse and worse. But I have like some really sweet memories of my kids from there. Um, I remember uh, taking my daughter Sonora there when she was really young and kind of was like she was like dressed in like like 1930s flapper style. Oh. <laughs> I have some photos from that visit. That's adorable. And, and uh but i remember also like just it was a place where you'd always run into people also and uh and you know for a while it was the best it was the best uh like diner in town and it's a shame it's getting torn down because you know mm -hmm. it was like the real deal like you know we had standard diner downtown for a while yeah. too and um but that was like kind of like the fake upscale version of of what Manny's actually was, I feel like, you know? Right. Um, yeah. And uh, I know I've seen, apparently that whole area was really hopping in like the 1970s. Rem the two Facebook feeds of local history, remember in Albuquerque when? 
uh-huh. Albuquerque memories have talked about that area quite a bit. They're like, there's a police substation around there that was also a diner. That was a uh, diner. Um, yeah. Although the diner was in a different place. Uh, oh, it's called uh, a Valentine diner. And it was uh, notable for being quite portable. You could just drag it around town. So yeah. it, it was originally downtown and they dragged it over there to become a police substation. But there was the, the triangle bar in that triangle shaped area where the police substation mm. is now and apparently that was kind of a rough place mm. oh interesting yeah huh. is is lindy's huh? gone lindy's diner lindy's is still there lindy's is still okay. there downtown lindy's is supposedly the the longest continually operating restaurant site in albuquerque even I though it's changed that. names more than once really? yeah um, started and... out as the coney island cafe interesting mm. oh nice oh hey uh, yeah. To our listeners, okay. Ty has a great Coney Island themed YouTube page. Thank you. That yeah. is really interesting. I like that. Uh, I believe that came about as a result of your your book research that you've been, right. been doing. And, yes, indeed. And, uh, and it's really super interesting. What's amazing to me is how relevant it is to all these bigger topics all the time. It's crazy. Yeah, me too. Um, I think it's almost like a lens at looking at the early 20th century, basically. It's called nice. Meet Me in Dreamland. Look it up on YouTube. Check it out. You hear weird stories about Coney Island in the early 20th century America. It's fantastic. Uh, uh, yeah, highly recommend it. Um, Thanks. Well, we've lost a lot of good stuff. I mean, High Ridge Theater closed. Um, yes. Uh, this Just this week, in, which was my favorite theater in the Heights. Right. Oh. Yeah. Well, um, that would show some more indie movies and right, right. showed like yeah. art movies. I, saw, I can sad. remember seeing Be- Down and Out in Beverly Hills there. Oh, nice. I think that was what it was called. That's the one with I Alan saw. Arkin and uh, the girl, the lady from uh, Orange is the New Black. Oh, huh. I can't remember I her name right now. The ghost story there. I think Spider-Man No Way Home was the last one I saw there with my kids. Ah, but, um, mm-hmm. the, yeah, uh, that little was, indie movie, Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah, it was, you know, <laughs> you might not have heard of I'm it. I'm glad you supported it, well it, it, Mike. Yeah, it was <laughs> really nice. <laughs> hey, I saw a ghost story, too. I, I've seen dozens of movies there. I Like, they all blur oh, together, yeah. honestly. But, um, Slums the, uh, of Beverly the... Hills. That's what it's called. Slums oh, of Beverly Slums Hills of with oh, uh, yeah. Natasha Leone, Alan Arkin, Marissa Tomei. Oh. Right, just um, kind of a weird, depressing yeah. movie. So yeah. I guess we'll just have oh, to go to the guild. Yeah, well, I'll always associate too, yeah. Manny's with you two. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like you guys went there a lot and also introduced me to it. Yeah, oh. I went there all the time. We had like, we had like a weird little oral history about the place, Courtney and I, for a while. Like there was a there was this one particular waitress who was super mean all the time. <laughs> she was like she would just be like really <laughs> mad at people. You know, like if, if somebody hemmed and hawed about their order, she'd be like, Hey, I have other customers, you know, like that kind of that kind of thing. And um, one time, one time we were there and I like ordered. I'll have the number eight, please. And she was like, Ooh, I like you. <laughs> I was like, Oh crap. I'm on, well, I'm on her list now. <laughs> She's, she likes me. I've made it. That's really funny. Yeah. I think I remember. Kind of like a real life Ed DeBevix. Did they have those in 
no. your area. What is that? Getting regional. Basically, it was uh, the the um it, you the it was like a fifty style diner where everyone was mean to you, and you paid basically to go be berated okay. and like sung at and be embarrassed. And it was Sounds in Chicago, great. Milwaukee. Wow. We had places like that in Houston, like a place called Dick's was what I never oh. went there because why would you go one... to a place where they're mean to you? Right. There's <laughs> one like that in Boston. The other, the other day I saw a homeless guy with a sign that said, tell me off for $2. Really get it out. Yeah. Say anything you want. Oh my God. Like, Man, that's horrible. What has oh. this guy heard? I can only imagine the kind of people that would have taken him up on that offer. Ugh. Ugh. Well, that's why you got to do it at the intersection so they drive away pretty quick. I guess, yeah. Whoa. Yeah, there you go. Uh, uh, well, um, um, it's gone we, to the big muffin shop in the sky, muffin bakery. I don't know. Yeah, I just remember them. They had big old muffins. We'll live on. Oh, we'll yeah. More manis. R.I.P. Uh, the guy who owned it, Joseph Corey. Children of Lebanese immigrants. I'm not sure if he's the same as Sadie, the same family as Sadie Corey, uh, huh. who started Sadie's restaurant. Yeah. Uh, if that's the same family, not yeah. sure, but there's a possible connection there to look into. Interesting. You know. Yeah. All right. Well, Nora, I know you got to sure. run. I hate to vanish on you. You're our own vanishing landmark. <laughs> um. Well, Thanks for talking, jogging the memory. You know? All right, it's good to remember these things. Keep them alive. Yeah. Yeah. Fences, bowling alleys, and restaurants. It's the little things that make up our lives. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> right on.